Well, if you have your Bibles with you today, turn with me to the Gospel of Mark, Mark chapter 2. And we're continuing our series of King Jesus, and today we're looking at greater, greater. King Jesus and his kingdom is far greater than anything that man can create or establish. That is the, the, the whole thesis of the message today. That Jesus is far greater than anything that man can create or establish. The problem, however, is that mankind continues to try to institute their own methods, their own means, their own matters to seek to fulfill a void that is in their own lives. People want to do what they want in order to find satisfaction, to find security, to find salvation, but all of those ways will still leave people empty, still leaves people enslaved, and still leaves people even egotistical. Today, we see that Jesus is once again confronted by some of those people. And if we look closely enough, and if we're honest enough, we may actually even see ourselves in the faces of some of those people. So let's look at three different sections of Scripture here this morning and see that Jesus is greater than what the people are pushing. And then may we be honest in those areas that look like us and turn all that we are over to him who has all authority and who is greater, King Jesus. And so if you would, in honor and reverence to the word of God, if you're able this morning, would you please stand as I read for you Mark chapter 2. It's a little bit lengthy, going from verse 18 into chapter 3, verse 6. But the Bible says, The disciples of John and of the Pharisees were fasting. Then they came and they said to him, Why do the disciples of John and of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? But Jesus said to them, Can the friends of the bridegroom fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. But the days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them, and they will fast in those days. No one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on on an old garment, or else the new piece pulls away from the old, and the tear is made worse. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins, or else the new wine bursts the wineskins. The wine is spilled, and the wineskins are ruined, but new wine must be put into new wineskins. Now it happened that he went through the grain fields on the Sabbath, and as they went, his disciples began to pluck the heads of grain. And the Pharisees said to him, Look, why do they do what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And Jesus again said to them, Have you never read what David did when he was in need and hungry, he and those with him? He, how he went into the house of God in the days of Bithar, the high priest, and ate the showbread, which is not lawful to eat except for the priest, and also gave some uh, to those who were with him. And he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Therefore, the Son of Man is also Lord of the Sabbath. In chapter 3, verse 1, And he entered the synagogue again, and a man was there who had a withered hand. So they watched him closely, whether he would heal him on the Sabbath, so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man who had the withered hand, Step forward. And then he said to, said to them, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to, eat, to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they kept silent. And when he looked around at them with anger, being grieved by the hardness of their hearts, he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out, and his hand was restored as whole as the other. And then the Pharisees went out and immediately plotted with the Herodians against him how they might destroy him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the reading of the Word of God this morning. We thank you, Lord, how you speak to us in it and through it by your Spirit. 
Father, we pray that you would have full authority over all that's said and done here, that nothing would hinder your spirit from moving in our hearts and our lives. We know, Lord, that the enemy has come to steal, kill, and to destroy. And his desire is for us to be distracted even today and, and to think of other people instead of ourselves. But, Lord, may you have your way in our hearts and our lives that we be open and receptive to what you want us to understand and to hear. Uh, Father, may you take the word of God. May you apply it to our hearts of li- and lives. And, and, Lord, challenge us and change us and correct us and help us to walk closer with you today. And, Father, may it affect us through all eternity. But Lord, I pray that if there are those here today who don't know Jesus, whether it's in this worship center or whether it's throughout the building, that Lord, you would use the time together today to draw people to yourself to save a knowledge of Jesus Christ. And those of us who are your children, Lord, may you challenge us and change us again and help us to be everything you desire for us to be as your disciples, your followers, your believers. And Father, we pray now that you would have your way. May the words of my mouth, meditation of my heart, Be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Jesus, King Jesus, is greater. And he is greater. First off, as we see in the bulletin, there is an outline there. Love for you to fill that in and keep some notes. But the first thing we see is that King Jesus is greater than man's religion. King Jesus is greater than man's religion. And verse 18, again, of chapter 2, tells us that the disciples of John, the Pharisees, were fasting. And then they came and said to him, that's Jesus, why the disciples of John and of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast. So the disciples of John here are fasting. Uh, John uh, has either been beheaded at this point or he's still in prison, but they're likely fasting in anticipation of the Messiah. They're still not sure about. The Pharisees, however, had created more days on which to fast. The law had only called for a fast one day a year, which was the day of atonement. But the Pharisees wanted to show how religious they were. And so they decided in their rules and their regulations, their traditions, that they would begin to fast every Monday and every Tuesday. And so this passage now that we see here today follows on the heels of of Jesus and his disciples. If you remember from last week, as we looked at verses 13 through uh, 17, you remember in that passage scripture that we see that Jesus and his disciples are feasting at Levi's house, along with all the tax collectors and the sinners that Levi had brought there. And so it's possible that as the, the Pharisees are, are, are being critical here of the disciples not fasting, possibly it's a Monday or a Thursday. And so the question is being asked to Jesus, why do your disciples not fast? They're saying to Jesus, Jesus, why aren't you and the disciples living up to the religion? Jesus, why aren't you following through on being spiritual? After all, Jesus, we are doing our part. Why aren't you and your disciples doing your part? Instead of living it up and chowing down with Levi and his buddies... You should be fasting, and since you're not, then apparently you're not one of us. So the Pharisees are are being more pointed as they're asking this question as uh, why the disciples are not fasting. Even though the prophets had called for fasting for the right reasons, which often revolved around repentance and examining the heart, There were many who believed that if they fasted a lot, like the Pharisees, every Monday and every Thursday, 
then certainly with all this religious activity, God would take notice of them and their fasting would earn them God's favor. And friends, listen, that is exactly what religion does. Religion seeks to do something in order to gain God's favor. Religion says, if I can be nice to those people, if I can be good enough, if I can say all the right words and do all the right things, then God will be pleased with me and he will answer my prayer and I can have all that I need. In other words, religion says I will do good and I will be good in order to try to manipulate God into doing what I want so that I then can be satisfied. That is religion. The people with that scenario, the problem with that scenario of those people is that we can never do enough or get enough or be good enough to find satisfaction and we still feel empty. But Jesus tells them that he is greater than religion. As a matter of fact, he tells them here in these next few verses here that that he is their rejoicing. He is our rejoicing. He uses the illustration of the bridegroom in verse 19. Jesus said to them, can the friends of the bridegroom fast while the bridegroom is with them as long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. Now, what is Jesus doing here and talking about the bridegroom? Talking, what, what is he doing? Well, what he's doing is he is contrasting and comparing what they're talking about as they are concerned about, the Pharisees are concerned about the disciples not fasting, but Jesus here is contrasting that with a wedding. You see, fasting is a time of mourning, whereas a wedding is a time of rejoicing, At least it's supposed to be, amen, right? Maybe you've been at those weddings where you're supposed to be rejoicing, but there's not too many happy faces in the crowd. Well, that's not what Jesus is talking about here. He's talking about the typical wedding where there is rejoicing. And so Jesus is saying, why should they be fasting when they are to be rejoicing since the Messiah is with them? He is the source of rejoicing. And he has come and he is greater than religion because he alone satisfies all of our needs. Now, I appreciate those two or three, but you know what? We need a greater amen right there. He satisfies all of our needs. Jesus is greater. He is greater. There should be celebration and rejoicing because Jesus Christ is our satisfaction. The question would have been better asked here in this as they're asking, but your disciples don't fast. It would not why Jesus' disciples didn't fast, but why the Pharisees did fast and not celebrate the presence of the Messiah. That would have been a better question. You see, friends, When Jesus comes, everything changes. When Jesus comes, everything changes, and there is great satisfaction. There is celebration, and there is rejoicing in Jesus. We do not, and we cannot do anything 
to gain his favor, but rather by God's grace, he has loved us and and we trust him by faith and we are loved and accepted and forgiven as he saves us and he is greater than religion. And it causes us, listen, when we know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, it is greater than any religion that man can create, but it causes in us, when we know Jesus as Savior, to have joy. Jesus causes us to have joy, which makes me wonder sometimes why so many Christians today, not here, of course, but why so many Christians today often look like and act like they've been sucking on lemons. Are you with me? You see, friends, listen, to know the relationship with God is right through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross and at the empty tomb should bring about in us a supernatural joy that cannot be concealed. That's the kind of joy that we have that comes only through Jesus Christ. You see, friends, when we know Jesus, all things are made new. He changes everything. That's what he's talking about here in verses 21 and 22. He says, no one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment or else the new piece pulls away from the old and the tear is made worse. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins or else the new wine bursts the wineskins. The wine is spilled and the wineskins are ruined, but new wine must be put into new wineskins. Now, what he's talking about here, these verses remind us that God doesn't come to reform us. God comes through Jesus to regenerate us. Jesus does not patch up the old life like a new patch on an old garment, friends. No, that's not what Jesus does. He makes us new. And he is not adding to the old way of life or trying to fit the new into the old like the putting of new wine in old wineskins. That's not what he does because it will not work. And so what he's telling here to the, to the folks of, of Judaism is that he's not adding to their religion of Judaism. He is the fulfillment of the religion of Judaism. And so today you may not have the religion of Judaism, but listen, you may have the religion of your traditions. You may not have the, the religion of Judaism, but you may have the religion of church. You may not have the religion of Judaism, but you, have, you may have the religion of we must maintain the status quo. You may not have the religion of Judaism, but you may have the religion of seeking to f- perform all the right tasks and do all the right things so that you feel like that you're being accepted by God. And if that is the case for you, my friends, listen, your works, your acts, your good deeds then become your savior. And you find that there is no rejoicing in those things because in those things there is no lasting satisfaction and we still feel empty. Jesus is greater because he is the son of God. And as we believe that and believe that he died for us and rising bodily from the grave, we turn to him. He fills all that we are longing for. He is greater, friends, than man's religion. 
Secondly, we see here that he is also greater than man's rules. Greater than man's rules. Verse 23, verse 24. Now it happened that when he, that's Jesus, went through the grain fields on the Sabbath, and as they went, his disciples began to pluck the heads of grain. And the Pharisees said to him, look, why do they do what's not lawful on the Sabbath? Well, here we go again with those Pharisees, amen? I mean, look at it. As Jesus and the disciples are going along, apparently the disciples are hungry and they begin to pluck the heads of grain from the field. Now understand that they're not stealing. According to that culture and that day, they are not stealing. The law actually allowed for this as long as they're not walking along with a sickle in their hand, reaping that way. If they do that, then that's a whole different story. But even the way that the, the, the crops were harvested, they would leave the outer edges unharvested for times like this when there would be people who, would, who were hungry who could glean from the harvest. But the problem here was not the grain. The problem here is that the disciples were doing this on the Sabbath. That's the problem. Now, the Sabbath for the Jew was sunset Friday to sunset Saturday. And the Sabbath is at the heart of Judaism. And so the Pharisee wanted to make sure that the Sabbath was never violated at all. And so as the disciples here are walking along, plucking the heads of grain and eating them, they are not following the rules for what you can do and not do on the Sabbath. The law that was given to Moses by God prohibited work on the Sabbath, but did not give very many specifics. So over a period of time, Jewish tradition had set up their man-made rules to make sure that people did not break the law of Sabbath rest. And so the Pharisees had established 39 categories of actions that were forbidden on the Sabbath that were based on the interpretation of God's law and on Jewish custom, for instance... If on the Sabbath you walked more than 1,999 paces, then you had traveled too far. And guess what? Yep, the disciples had broke that. Not only that, but if you plucked the grain on the Sabbath, then you are harvesting. Yep, they broke that one too. So according to the Pharisees, it would have been better for them to go hungry than to break their rules about the day of rest. Wow. Wow. You know, all these rules about the day of rest was, well, exhausting. And they were burdensome. Instead of being a day of rest, it had become a burden and a bondage. The rules in trying to keep the Sabbath were actually having the opposite effect. You know, we can be guilty of this too. If we don't do this or that a certain way, we feel like we've been cheated. It doesn't feel right. If it wasn't done the way we think it should, we feel like something went wrong or It didn't suit us just right. It didn't feel good. But Jesus, 
in these next verses teaches that he is greater than man's rules. And he himself is the perfect rest. Look at verse 25 and 26. But Jesus said to them, Have you never read what David did when he was in need and hungry, he and those with him, how he went into the house of God in the days of Abiathar, the high priest, and ate the showbread, which is not lawful to eat except for the priest, and also gave some of those who were with him. So what Jesus is doing here is he is rebuking the Pharisees by giving them an example here of David when his men ate the showbread in the temple, which was simply reserved for the priests. Now, nowhere in scripture does God condemn that act because the greater need was that God did not want these men to starve. God was concerned with caring for his servant David and the, the, who was the anointed king of Israel. The Pharisees would have known the story here of David and his men eating the showbread, but they were missing the greater principle, which is found in verse 27 when Jesus says to them, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. And so the Sabbath was made for man's rest, for man's enjoyment, for man's worship, and not man for the Sabbath, Jesus is reminding them. As a matter of fact, Jesus goes further and he tells them another bold claim here in verse 28 where he says, Therefore, the Son of Man is also Lord of the Sabbath. Jesus is saying he, the Son of Man, is the Lord of the Sabbath. Meaning Jesus gets to make the call. He determines what is right and wrong on the Sabbath. And as the creator, he is saying that he is sovereign over the Sabbath. He was saying, you don't set the rules and you do not rule. I do. That's what Jesus was saying. Man's rules. Man's rules say, you must do everything my way. Man's rules say, My traditions are right and yours are wrong. Man's rules say, this is the way it must be done because it is the way that it has always been. Y'all with me this morning? You know, I couldn't help but to think about uh, quite a few stories I know about, uh, you know, insisting it has to be done this way because it's always been done that way. And that's our rule. That's our tradition. We may not understand it, but hey, it works. It must be right. Well, I came across a story about a young woman who was preparing her first Thanksgiving dinner. And as she gets everything ready for Thanksgiving Day, she very sternly reminds herself to let the turkey finish thawing in the sink overnight. So she puts that turkey in the sink and places the dish drainer or the dish rack over top of the bird. Well, her husband walks into the kitchen and sees this, it's the first Thanksgiving together, and he says, why are you doing that? And she said, well, my mom always did that to help the turkey thaw. He said, I have never heard of such a thing as that. Well, it is exactly what my mama did, and I know that's what she did to make it help the turkey thaw. And so this argument began to ensue about putting the dish drainer, the dish rack, over top of the turkey in the sink to let it thaw. I'm sure 90% of you all probably do that yourselves. Anyway, (laughs) the next day, 
her mom calls to see how everything's going. And she says, everything's good, mom, but I have already, I already got everything ready to go in the oven. I even remembered to put the dish rack over the turkey last night. That seemed to confuse her mother just a bit. And she says, what are you talking about, honey? She said, she asked, she said, oh, I remember you always put the dish rack over the turkey when it was thawing in the sink. And she said, there's a pause. She said, yes, but honey, we had cats. Sometimes we establish these rules, friends, that we think are just right. It has nothing to do with it. Praise God, Jesus is greater than man's rules. Amen? Man's rules about the Sabbath exhausted and enslaved, but Jesus is greater than man's rules and traditions. He is the fulfillment of the Sabbath. He is, listen, Jesus is not only our rejoicing, Jesus is also our rest. He is the deep rest that we need. As a matter of fact, knowing that he is the, in Colossians 2, we see that he is the fulfillment of the Sabbath. In Colossians 2, 16 and 17, it says, let no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbath which are a shadow of things to come, but the substance is of Christ. Jesus is our Sabbath. He is our rest. And so instead of working through all of our rules to find rest, we are to find Jesus and have rest. Amen? Amen. Our true rest is not found in rules. But our rest and our security are found only in Jesus Christ. The Jewish tradition and the man-made rules were exhausting. They were enslaving, just as some of our traditions as man-made rules can be as well. Jesus is greater than man's religion. He is our rejoicing, and he is greater than man's rules. He is our rest. But thirdly, Jesus is also greater than man's righteousness man's righteousness. We can see in these confrontations with Jesus that the Pharisees really do think that their way is the right way. Now we find them in this next little section here spying on Jesus to see what he's going to do next. So we look here in chapter 3 verse 1 and 2, Jesus, he entered the synagogue again and a man was there who had a withered hand And watch this. So they watched him closely, whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. You see, friends, the Pharisees here were more concerned about Jesus violating their Sabbath rules instead of helping a man in need. They were more concerned about what they thought was right instead of someone who actually needed some help. Friends, their self-righteousness is very evident In this passage of scripture, isn't it? They think that they're right, that they are better, that they are more religious, and this Jesus, well, he must be stopped. So instead of seeing a man in need, they see an opportunity to accuse Jesus. It was more important for the self righteous Pharisees to protect their ways and their righteousness than to free a person from suffering. 
Indeed, their self-righteous hearts are exposed. They were watching for Jesus to mess up. They were ready to pounce as soon as he did. They were prideful. They had critical spirits. And they wanted Jesus to be destroyed. But Jesus knows their hearts. Look at verses 3 through 5. Jesus said to the man who had the withered hand, step forward. And he said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they kept silent. And when he had looked around at them with anger, being grieved by the hardness of their hearts, he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out and his hand was restored as whole as the other. Jesus, the Bible tells us here, is both angered and grieved at the hardness of their hearts. The tense of that word, the hardness, literally means that it was hardening. It was in the act of hardening or becoming more callous or calcifying. It was getting harder because they were obstinate. They were stubborn. They were egotistical, insisting on their own way. They were unconcerned about the man, but concerned about themselves. I'm sure you probably don't know people like that in your life, but that's the way they were. You know, I couldn't help but to think as I was sitting here just a few minutes ago and thought about this story in a while, but uh, we think about people who are just stubborn and egotistical, insisting on their way, not being concerned about the person. I heard of a a pastor friend of mine told me of a story of when he was a pastor. He was a missionary, uh, pastor for a while, and then became a missionary. But while he was pastoring, he was telling me about uh, there was a lady in the church who every Sunday, she made it her responsibility to check him out from head to toe while she's sitting in the pew and he's in the pulpit to see if he had any Irish pennants. Now, if you're in the military, you may know what an Irish pennant is. At least that's what we called it uh, in the reserves where I was at in the Navy. It's a string that may be in the wrong place, hanging somewhere. You know, a string on a button or on a, you know, buttonhole. Just a little string somewhere. And so it's her responsibility to check him out to see if he had anything out of order in his suit. And then if there was anything, and he said, and typically there was something, a little, it didn't matter, just a little piece of thread or something. Every Sunday, every Sunday, when he would be at the door, she would come out and she would berate him in front of the people behind him of that string that was hanging there. She'd always find this as a little string and she'd reach up and I cannot believe that you would not have more concern about yourself and that you would be that way in front of these people, that string, and she'd pull that string and she'd march off. And he was trying to be just as gracious and loving as he possibly could to this dear lady. It's happened for weeks and weeks and finally he decided this has to stop. So he had an idea. So what he did is he took a thread of string And he put it in his pocket and he threaded it up through his buttonhole and had just a little string hanging there because he knew what she was going to do when she got to the door. She was going to pull that string. So he said he began to preach and he saw her and he could tell she caught, she saw it. (laughs) So he said, okay, it's coming. So he went to the door at the end, and sure enough, she came. I cannot believe that you would, act, that you would have no, no enough concern about what you wear, that you would put a, not get that string. Here you are again. And she began to pull, and she pulled, 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 <laughs> until everybody behind was laughing, and she walked off in a huff. I think that took care of it, don't you? 
You know, friends, we can be like that sometimes, so obstinate in our ways that we are not concerned about the people, amen? But Jesus, listen, is greater than man's righteousness in that his heart is compassionate toward those in need. And he restores the man's hand as he tells him to step forward and stretch out his hand and he heals the man. Now the hand that was withered is made whole. And you want to know something? Jesus, the one who can restore a hand that has withered, is the same one who can regenerate or revive a heart that is hardened. What causes such hardening of the heart? Well, it comes from having a religion that's based on works. It's striving to do all the right things, but never really having a relationship with the Lord that causes joy. That hardening is not having faith in him and trusting in him. It's also the hardening of a heart comes when we are set in our ways, insisting on our own man-made rules and traditions and being too stubborn to hear from the Lord. That hardness of heart also comes from the sin in our, in our own life of our pride and our self-righteousness, thinking that we're always right, having a critical spirit, thinking that we are better looking down on others because it's our religion, it's our status, and our way is better. Friends, let me just ask you a few questions. Are you trying to fit following Jesus into the old life? Have you been trying to gain God's favor through your religion of works? Or do you have an overflowing joy that comes from your relationship with Jesus Christ? He is greater than man's religion and he is our rejoicing. How about your rules? Have you become legalistic in some of your traditions? Are you insisting on everything being done your way because any other way is just the wrong way? Or are you resting in him, finding security and strength in him? Jesus is greater than man's rules, and he is our true rest. And we are to rest in him, not allowing all our notions to exhaust and enslave us. What about your heart? Are you thinking the worst of others instead of thinking for for what's good in them? Are you looking for others to mess up? so you can pounce on them? Do you have a critical spirit? Are you thinking, I sure do hope so-and-so's listening to this. (laughs) Yeah, because we're all guilty of that, aren't we? And when we do, the truth is is that we too have that self-righteous attitude. Amen? Amen, all of us. Jesus is greater than our self-righteous attitude and our hardening hearts. He restores, he revives, and he regenerates. Friends, do you know Jesus as Savior Lord? You can know him because he is greater. He is greater. And you can know him as he's calling to you this morning to, as you take that one step of faith, acknowledging that we're sinners in need of a Savior, In that one step of faith, turning from our sin, turning to Jesus, in that one step of faith, embracing that Jesus is God's son who died on the cross, who rose again bodily from the grave, 
in that one step, professing him as the Lord and Savior of our lives. The Bible says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved, whoever. But if you know Jesus, this morning as we come to our time of invitation, do you need to ask the Lord's forgiveness as you've put other things before him? Do you need to ask his forgiveness for being legalistic about your traditions and ways that you have put before Jesus? Do you need to ask the Lord this morning, Lord, restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. Maybe we need to say, Lord, I'm sorry for thinking that I'm better than other people and thinking that my ways are better than your ways. And I just want to yield to you. I want to trust you. I want to follow you. I want to obey you. I want to be like you. Whatever God's dealing with your heart today, be obedient as he invites us to walk with him. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would have your way in our hearts and lives. And Lord, we thank you, Jesus, that you are greater. Greater than all that we might try to think are our own religion, our own rules, our own righteousness. And so, Lord, we yield to you this morning. And we pray that you would speak to us, even as you have dealt with us already, that, Lord, if we need to recommit our hearts to you, Lord, if we need to surrender to you, if we need to answer your call upon our lives, or we just need to pray about some issue, some family member, something we're struggling with, whatever it is, Lord, in our lives, Lord, we pray that you'd help us at this invitation just to yield to you completely. But more importantly, we pray, Lord, for those who don't know you as Lord and Savior, may they not leave today without coming to know Jesus, who is greater, who saves us to the uttermost, and who is faithful. So, Lord, may you have your way as we come to this invitation, as we sing how we love you, Lord Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.